I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 10. We're going to continue to make our way through John's biography of our Lord Jesus. Though we, we may feel embarrassed or even fearful to admit it, the Christian life sometimes feels frustrating and empty. We don't want to say it, but there are times when it seems that the Christian faith overpromises and underdelivers. We're told that Christianity is all about relationship, relationship with God, not a religion of do's and don'ts. It's kind of like that company slogan that we're trained to use when encountering first-time customers. And, and though the cliche did at one time, and perhaps still may touch something true about our own experience, if we were honest, we'd say that, well, that reality is at best sporadic and at worst something so far off that we cannot be sure it was ever real. And there are times when each of us may ask, what does relationship with God really look like? Isn't that what we're hungering for? Isn't that at least a significant part of what we signed up for? An authentic, dynamic growing, ongoing, vibrant relationship with God in Christ Jesus. Now, the testimony of Scripture seems to convey overwhelmingly that, that God wants and pursues relationship with us. God wants us. He's leaning in. He's pursuing, pursuing with goodness, mercy, he wants to be known, he wants to be trusted. And so, if, if he's moving so intensely towards us, then what is the disconnect? Do we want to be with him? Do we truly desire him? Or if we plumb the depths of our hearts, would we not discover that instead of pleasure in God, Pleasures at His right hand. What we really want is just to feel good. Feel good about ourselves. What we really want is a sense of control and accomplishment. And uh, perhaps like the Samaritans that we heard about in John chapter 4, we're tempted, some of us at least, and profoundly at times, to have, to have God in our image rather than be formed in His. And then this leads to an inner dialogue. We call it prayer. And uh, in this inner dialogue, our focus can turn almost entirely, almost exclusively on ways to fix our situation or to fix others or to fix ourselves rather than, rather than ways to be with God. After 35 years in pastoral ministry, I know I started when I was about 10. Uh, I'm sure that the struggles that I hear articulated most often are, oh, if I, could just, if I could just get that feeling back, 
feeling I used to have with God. Or if I, could just be, if I could just be more diligent, consistent, digging into the Word. If I could just figure out. If I could just figure out, and then you fill in the blank. I, I'm not sure if I can bring back exactly who said it, but I believe it's true. To find healing, one must embrace what needs healing. And friends, oftentimes it is, I believe, our approach to God, our approach to Him that needs healing the most. So the question that I, I want to encourage you to consider today is, does my approach to God need healing? Does my approach to God need adjusting? Is my approach to an abiding relationship with God gospel-centered? The focus of John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 is squarely on the basis for how we approach God. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. And therefore, and this is the main point I believe, soul-satisfying, abundant, overflowing spiritual life is found in an abiding relationship with God the Father, achieved, realized, through Jesus Christ the Son. Abundant spiritual life. It's found in an abiding relationship with God the Father, through Jesus the Son. So, let's look at the text. I invite you to follow along and read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. This is, this is our Heavenly Father's holy and authoritative word. Pay careful attention. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Our attention is captured, Lord, by such an audacious promise. That the reason that you came, Lord Jesus, the reason that you appeared in this world, the reason that you were born, the reason that you lived the life you lived as a human being, the reason that you endured all you endured, the reason that you laid down your life willingly. is so that we could have full, vibrant, overflowing, abundant spiritual life. That we would know grace upon grace. That we would know what flesh and blood cannot produce. That we would know the presence and the power of God. That we would experience the glories, the glories of the Father, the glories of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would know the fruit of it all, that we would know the manifestation of it all, that we would would know extraordinary spiritual life. What a promise. And so we pray that you you would put on display in this time that we have together, through your word, the power of that, the truth of that, the reality of that. Produce that among us. For the sake of the trustworthy glory of your word and what you've said. 
for the glory of your name, for the glory of your reputation, for the honesty of what you've proclaimed and promised, and for the great fullness of joy and pleasure of your people in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the claim of John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 is that Jesus came and he laid down his life so that, to the end that, his people, his sheep might have full, satisfying, overflowing, ongoing spiritual life. Jesus came, he laid down his life so that his people, his sheep might have access to spiritual life, not just ordinary garden variety spiritual life, but abundant spiritual life. And so what does that mean? What is this abundant spiritual life? Well, let's just start with what it does not mean, okay? What it does not mean is, well, full, satisfying, overflowing, ongoing spiritual life does not mean life without pain or problems. Just get that on the table right off the bat. If there has been a refrain that we have come back to again and again and again here at Emmaus Road Church, the the refrain that we have aimed at sowing into the theological and practical fabric of our spiritual community, it is the truth, it is the reality that normal Christian life, life this side of eternity, is tinted deeply with sorrows. Jesus himself says in John chapter 16 verse 33 just a few chapters away, in the world you will have tribulation. So we can dispel from our minds that a full satisfying overflowing ongoing spiritual abundant spiritual life it's not a life free from challenges and difficulties. And therefore, um, John 10.10 is not the promise of a hassle-free life. It's not the promise of a disappointment-free life. That would be a wrong conclusion. Full, overflowing spiritual life is not contingent upon everything being smooth sailing. It wasn't for Jesus. It won't be for us. And it's worth noting, it's, worth, it's just worth registering that, that the context here, that, that Jesus' promise of abundance for his people is communicated in the context of an intensely grievous situation. The focus of John chapter 9, which we've given attention to the last two weeks, is Jesus' healing of a man who had been disabled from birth, And and one might conclude that, wow, everything is now turning around for this guy. You know, he once was blind, now he sees, he's got a new life. Most importantly, he has seen, he's recognized the Savior. Man, his world's just opening up, fullness, joy, abundance. He's got his best life right now. However... Seeing and trusting Jesus did not eliminate the possibility of enduring 
spiritual and emotional abuse. According to John 9, the healed man and his family are victims of spiritual abuse by religious authorities. They're hounded. They are pressured. They are reviled, scolded. They are threatened to the point of, you know, they're walking on eggshells, what they say, don't say. He is publicly shamed and humiliated. And finally, he is cast out. That is, he is excommunicated from his spiritual community. So, practical nature of that is, is that his social relational network has been taken away from him. Those relationships are now changed. It's the spiritual equivalent of being mugged. It's a textbook case of spiritual and emotional abuse. And that's why Jesus refers to the spiritual shepherds of the Jews three times in John chapter 10 as thieves and robbers. They are self-serving and they are harsh. And the fruit of their oversight of their flock is soul-crushing. Takers. And thus the people are like sheep without a shepherd. And into that reality, into that context, Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came. I'm here. That they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, embedded in that statement is is a stunning announcement. Those familiar with their Old Testaments at that time would have recognized yet another messianic connection to Jesus. For you see, when God condemned the self-serving spiritual leadership of Israel hundreds of years earlier in Ezekiel chapter 34, He made this remarkable promise in Ezekiel 34 beginning in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Verse 22 I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, though David had already died a couple generations earlier, he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. This David, this better David, he will be the one that I will set up. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, this better David, shall be prince among them. And now, here in John chapter 10, the prophecy of Ezekiel 34 is fulfilled. Jesus is the new and better David. Jesus is the shepherd of God. 
Jesus is the one through whom God is asserting His care and His leadership and His nourishment over His people. And perhaps most remarkably and most practically, a disabled man's healing and then the heartbreaking loss that he endures is the occasion for greater hope, deeper healing, and remarkable indomitable spiritual life. This man is an exhibit to the truth that the light shines in the darkness and though the darkness aims to swallow up the light with all of its fruitfulness and overflowing spiritual life, the darkness cannot and the darkness will not overcome it. So, if if the substance and nature of abundant spiritual life is not a suffering-free life, what then is it? And in a nutshell, we could say that the nature and substance of abundant spiritual life, it is an abiding relationship with God the Father through God the Son. Whether we're suffering or not. Abundant spiritual life is an abiding relationship with God the Father through God the Son. And I get that from what Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. The door to what? If anyone enters, enters into what? He will be saved. Saved from what? He will find pasture. In what sense? Think about this. From what must we be saved? We must be saved above all other things, from the wrath and condemnation of God against our sin. John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And when God's wrath and condemnation are removed from us, then what have we gained? We've gained access to God and to His presence. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, let us draw near, near to God, into His holy presence, with a true heart full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, We can draw near to God. We can come into relationship with God without the fear of condemnation and wrath. And once God's wrath and condemnation are removed, once we're saved from that, we have access, full, free access into the very presence of God without any danger. We are spiritually safe and spiritually secure from God's wrath. Neither death, neither life, neither angels, neither rulers, neither bad shepherds or wolves, nor things 
in this life or things that are in the future that we can't predict or things that are spiritual or things that are physical can separate us or come between us and the blessing of fullness and abundance of spiritual life in God through Christ. That's what we have. We have the, in, the freedom and the enjoyment to go in and out securely. Don't have to even knock. Don't have to ring the doorbell. Don't have to bring a sacrifice. Some bloody thing. We'll have to get down on our knees and grovel. What needed to be done in order for us to draw near is done. Completely done. Once for all, done. And another thing. We experience pasture. What does sheep need to live and thrive? They need nourishment. They need a place to run around. And nourishment for sheep is, is found in the, the green meadows and pastures. It's just fullness. Everything here, everything here points to the reality of access. Access, access, doorway, entryway into full, soul-satisfying, abundant, overflowing, ongoing, spiritual life in an abiding, uninterrupted relationship with God the Father. And what is the one and only way into such a relationship? Who is the only one whose death is worthy of propitiating God's wrath. Putting out the fire. Who is the only one whose sacrificial death is sufficient to atone for all our sins, past and present and future? Opening the way for us to the very presence of infinite holiness and glory. Who is the only one who's coming and dying fulfills the new covenant in such a way that we might experience spiritual rebirth? Who is the only one who can satisfy our soul thirst with living water? Who is the only one whose words, if they are believed, transfers us from eternal death To eternal life. No one else's words can do that. Who is the only one in whom we taste bread from heaven? Who is the only one if we eat and drink our fill of him. Out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Who is the only one if we receive the truth about him. As well as the truth about us. And remain in it. Will set us free. Free indeed. From slavery. To sinning and sinning and sinning. And who is the only one with the power. And the grace to open spiritually blind eyes. So that we might behold his glory. See glory. 
And who is the door to these significant, overwhelming, abundant spiritual blessings? By whom do we enter this? By whom do we remain in this? By whom do we abide in such full and satisfying and overflowing and abundant and ongoing spiritual life? Who? Jesus tells us who in verses 7 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Loved ones, abundant spiritual life is found in an abiding relationship with God the Father accessed through Jesus the Son. And and God our Father in Christ Jesus the Son is just relentlessly personal. In stark contrast to those whose disposition is to take and take and take, God our Father in Christ Jesus gives and gives and gives. Look at John 10 verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So is is what you're hungering for an authentic, dynamic, growing, ongoing, vibrant relationship with God? Then believe this, that God the Father did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us. He gave Him up for us. He gave Him up for us all that you and I might have such a relationship with Him. You ever thought, given much thought to what, what, what would be the greatest obstacle to experiencing abundant spiritual life? Is the greatest obstacle your own feelings of guilt and shame over your own failures and sins? Je- Jesus says, I'm the door for you. I am the door for you. If anyone enters by me, he or she will be saved, will be forgiven, will be delivered from the wrath of God, will be justified and reckoned as holy. Loved ones, put all your trust in Jesus' blood. He laid down His life for you through His great love. Is the the greatest obstacle for you in your experience of abundant spiritual life Perhaps a a bitter 
and um, angry heart. Resentment has dominion over you. And, and on account of some, you know, some hurtful thing committed against you. Something precious was taken from you. Like the, the man born blind and given his sight. Something was taken. Your innocence may have been taken. A dream may have been taken. Your emotional, relational health has a great limp to it. Your ministry has been taken. Your livelihood has been taken. Your reputation has been taken. Loved ones, the good shepherd laid down his life for you. 1 Peter 1, 21-23 says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. But when He was reviled, and He was reviled, He did not revile in return. And when He suffered, and He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Because Jesus bore your sins and laid down His life for you, you don't have to bear the enormous and horrific weight, really, of being the judge and avenger of yourself. You can trust that justice is going to be done. Punishment will happen, either in hell or it will happen at the cross. Full atonement. Christ has made. Praise God, what a Savior we have. What if the obstacle for you is that you're the taker? You're the one who caused the hurt. You're the one who wounded. You're the one who stole. But what if you're a sheep? You're just not yet in the sheepfold. Perhaps you're standing at a crossroads like many who were standing at a crossroads in John chapter 10 verses 19 to 21. And you're not sure if Jesus is some nut job or if he is really the son of God. But Jesus says, you must be brought in. You must be. You will be. And loved ones, then admit your helplessness. Admit your inability. Admit your blindness to His glory. Confess your inability to follow. Confess your inability to trust Him even. I can't even trust you unless you impart to me the faith that I need. I can't see unless you open my eyes. I I can't hear unless you open my ears. I, I can't follow. I can't desire unless you open my heart. Turn to Him and trust Him to grant to you the saving faith that you may know Him. And act the miracle. He knows you. And trust yourself to this promise.
Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to follow, tender-hearted humility, Repentance, softness, all things. Do you really want all that the Father has for you in Him? It does not matter what the obstacle is for you. Experiencing the fullness, the abundance, the sweetness of spiritual life that is found in an abiding relationship with God the Father. If God the Father did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up and handed Him over to be lied about, to be betrayed, to be denied, to be abandoned, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be beaten, to be spit upon, to be nailed to a cross, suspended between heaven and earth for us all, then loved ones, how will He not also with Jesus His Son graciously overcome every obstacle that we might have life and have it abundantly? Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes um, I think it's true that, that to really find healing, one must embrace what needs, what actually needs healing. And um, so often, what needs healing the most in relationship to you is how we go about accessing you. Gets all twisted and tangled. And if there's one thing that you have made crystal clear over and over and over throughout your word, but is in the unfolding of this revelation of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, it is that Jesus is the way. Jesus is our access to you. Jesus came. Jesus laid down His life. Jesus lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died so that we might enjoy all that You are. And we can't even begin to imagine how exceedingly, astonishingly abundant and overflowing that all is. So we ask You today as we proclaim this Gospel to ourselves, we preach it to ourselves in song. We proclaim this gospel to ourselves again. We ask for your healing power to fall fresh upon us. That our hearts might be awakened. That our hearts might be softened. That the eyes of our hearts might be opened. 
that you would pour into us a rushing wave of fresh, believing, fresh, trusting, fresh, turning, that we might walk in the fullness of this great promise, life, spiritual life, eternal life, abundant, overflowing. May this be so now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.